Hey kids, you're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this show is Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo. Today is Tuesday, July 4th, 2017. Happy 241st birthday, United States of America. I just hope that this song isn't a metaphor for your coming year. Sweat beginning to pour down my neck as I turn round. I heard Fortune shouting, get off of this outing. Uh, what you talking about, Willis? I mean, Michelle. All in good time, kid. Only maybe fasten those seat belts because it might be a bumpy ride.
we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was, or is, still playing underneath, One More Red Nightmare from King Crimson's Red Album in 1974. It's a song about a plane crash, which kind of reminds me of the epic fails the New York City MTA has been giving its commuters nearly every other day this year so far. Oof. Only in this song, the person wakes up and finds it was all a dream. But for us, every morning when we're trying to get a get to work, it's just one nightmare after another. Do you sense a theme for us this week? Is it red? Or is it nightmare? Or is it the album red? Or is it that I'm a redhead? Or is it that it's July, which usually is a red hot month in New York City? Eh, you'll figure it out. But we do have a hot episode for you today with a great guest artist who has a totally tantalizing show coming up this red hot summer. So let's get right to it with this song, he handpicked for his intro. Hello, everybody. My name is Mirka Pridushka. Me is Mitikistan. Let's pick them. Sieben, sieben, alulu. Sieben, sieben, eins, zwei. Sieben, sieben, alulu. Eins, zwei, drei. Sieben, sieben, alulu. Sieben, sieben, eins, zwei.
And we're back on Radio Free Brooklyn with Fish Out of Agua. That was Dancing Rasha Tumbai by Ukrainian comedian, musician, and drag artist Verka Serduchka. <laughs> and that song took second place in the 2007 Eurovision Song Contest, which is a yearly international TV song competition for the European Union. Kind of like our America's Got Talent, but totally unlike. I had no idea this thing existed, so this was great. So I just Googled around, and oh my God, <laughs> it's awesome. So, and in case you're wondering why this week's guest picked this song for their intro, well, then you're just going to have to listen to Elena Lancaster. everybody welcome to fish out of agua's guest artist of the week Woo! this is my favorite part of the show i know i always say it's my favorite part of the show but it is and i'm sitting here with one of my favorite storytellers yes everybody's my favorite but this guy is one of my new favorites and i want to welcome the fish out of agua ilana lancaster Woo! yay yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited about doing this. This is really exciting for me. So, oh, cool! Yeah. I'm, I'm glad. Did, I'm like, did you like your introduction? I did. Yes. Okay. I'm honored. Okay. To be it's one it's of not like I favorites. could do the MGM fanfare thing with the lion roar. Well, you can you can have that ready for the next guest. Right? Yeah, or or I, I can interject a, a sound effect you do at have some point that during power, the right? I do have that power. So, Ilana, um. Yes, but when I said that you are one of my newest storytelling buds, I was right because we've barely known each other like a year, maybe about. Yeah, more or less, something like that. Yeah, so like this, the great, the great thing about storytelling is that there's just like fresh fish all the time, like fishes out of agua. You know, there's fresh fish all the time. There's like so many new people coming on the scene, doing so many wonderful things. But Alana, remind me of how we met. So I think we actually met at the um, was it that story storytelling show at the center? I think. Oh, was it the storytelling show that Nicole Ferraro did? Yes. And it was to benefit, it was in December yes. of last year, yes, and it was it to was. benefit something really good, and I can't remember what it was. I think it was benefiting the Anti-Violence Project. Yes, yes, so, yes, thank yeah. you. There might have been some other beneficiaries, too. It was a really, really awesome show. It was an amazing show. It was just, it was like the storytelling, like, all-star show. It, it was like, there were like 20 people there. There and were like 20 storytellers, and it never felt long it never no. felt there were no lulls it was just amazing storytelling well everybody did like six minute stories so it wasn't long but yeah, yeah. but yeah. It, it but it was a long night i mean i think there were 20 of us yeah i think it actually literally was 20 people which was pretty spectacular i have to say and i think that was one of the first times i had seen you tell a story and I was like, I gotta get this guy in my show. How do I get this guy in my show? So I did, yay! I mean, like a storytelling show, and now you're here. Yeah, it was really, I th yeah, I think that is when we met. I feel like it can't have been that short of a of time, but I think it was. Well, it's like a so, half a year ago. I mean, yeah. this is, this is well, we're recording this interview on uh, Wednesday, June 21st, the summer solstice, which will probably, and it'll probably run sometime in July, but yeah, so it's, yeah. it's a half a year ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a long time. Correct. So, Alana, tell me about yourself. Like, where are you from, and how'd you get to New York? I don't think you were, you're a native. So, I'm from Long Island. Oh, um, then you're, so, well, you're yeah, kind of a native. Sort of, well, so I was born in Brooklyn, and then moved to Long Island in elementary school, so oh. I'm from Long Island. 
See, you have all this laid back California thing about you. <laughs> I get that sometimes and I find it deeply perplexing because I don't feel laid back at all. I guess I just projected by accident. I don't know. Oh, okay. So yeah, so I'm from Long Island and um, I moved back to Brooklyn in 2010. Wow, what, what neighborhood in Brooklyn were you from, born in? Uh, Cobble Hill. Co oh my God, so yeah. the F train. Yes. The F and F train. Yes, oh, the F train. God. Yes, in a neighborhood that I don't think anyone in my family could afford anymore. But Oh, uh, my God. Did you guys own a house and sell it? No, no. We rented, so it's not that tragedy. Uh, I, I have a friend who, um, do you know where Methodist Hospital is by yep. 7th Avenue and Park Slope? Yep. His grandparents owned the brownstone, like, down that block. Oh. and But the neighborhood was bad then because it, this was right, the early right, 70s. Right. So they were looking so, to get so, out. And, and, and people like my family, well, not my family, were moving in, so all the white people got out. And because, yeah, it went from, yeah, all the white people, like, left, right. and then all the white people came back. So, like, I, I, I have a friend who, um, their family bought on 10th Street between 5th and 6th Avenue, and, like, when they bought the house, the people on the both sides of them moved out. Uh. And now they were offered, like, a couple of million dollars, and they were like, we ain't going. Hell no. You no. hold on to that with for dear life. But that's forever. crazy how the neighborhood changed and it, changed again. It is absolutely crazy how that happens. So yeah. t tell me about your trajectory is to becoming a storyteller. Because like, I don't think anybody wakes up and says, I'm going to tell stories. I certainly didn't. No, I definitely didn't either. So um, let's see. I've always been pretty damn talkative. So that definitely, that definitely factored in. Um, but I really didn't get into storytelling until... I started going to Story Collider. I was always a huge science nerd, actually. Oh, cool. And, uh, so Story Collider is stories about science. It's a really awesome show that I started going to every month. And then one month, I saw that they had an upcoming theme that was reproduction. And I happened to be working in a fertility clinic at the time oh. and had a perfect story for that theme. So I think it only took me like three months to um, get my shit together to approach one of the hosts on the on the break and ask and, and pitch them a story. And I did. And I told the story there. And it was awesome. So, I, they were fantastic. So, so the rest was history? <laughs> People started like knocking down your door for bookings mm, after? No, I, no the rest was, uh, the rest was I, I did that and I was like, great, I can check that off my bucket list and I'm done. And then I, uh, I think I decided I wanted to put my name in the hat at the moth a couple of years later. Oh, um, wow. So you did the story collider then like what, like back in like 2012 or something? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Right, because you said you moved back here yeah. in, in, in 2010. Yeah, so, so it, it was in, yeah, so it was in 2012. Where yeah. were you living before then? I was living on Long Island. Doing um, what? Well, I was in college and oh then, that's right i forget you're um, young i forget well, he's such a young man a young I'm a baby man. i'm 30 now yeah so oh, go, you know. okay 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 yeah, you're not so that I'm young not, i'm not that young okay um, you're, yeah you're not that young 30 30 gives me credibility yeah yeah, um, yeah. So it gives you gravitas see. yeah exactly yeah, 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 yeah. yeah yeah so um and then i was i was living on long island and then i was working in the city at a fertility clinic oh okay so, yeah. do you still have that job no, I do not. Um, I was there for a few years. It was really, really interesting. But uh, now I do other things. Okay, so, great. I, yeah. bet, I, I bet that it was really interesting working for something like that. I have a friend who's um, 
with the Lady Parts Justice League, mm -hmm. and now she's on a, a like a road trip all over the central part of the United States, oh. going to different Planned Parenthoods. And uh, Lady Parts Justice League was founded by a woman named Liz Winstead, who mm -hmm. used to be a writer for The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. And they're doing like comedy shows, and they're also doing like activism and advocacy at all of these clinics, and meeting all these people in different Midwestern and, and Southern cities. That's and so, because if this uh, women's fertility is such a big friggin' issue for the patriarchy, and because they know if they can control it, they can control us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it's a huge, huge issue for a lot of people that doesn't get talked about nearly enough. No. And it's such a, you know, for everybody, it's a really hugely stigmatized thing. So um, I really love doing that work. It was really, I, my patients were amazing, and uh, I got to do a lot of work around LGBT health, which is a big interest. Yes. Of mine, so that was really. Um, really meaningful and exciting. So. I bet because I, I bet that that you know speaking about marginalization, I bet there are so many people that are just afraid to talk about like health issues because a they don't want to be judged and b they don't want to be judged and c they're afraid that the doctor's going to tell them they're going to die. Yeah, all of the above for sure. It's you know it's it's like all of everyone's worst fears about healthcare rolled into one because it's all this stuff about you know you feel like you should just be able to do this automatically and it's not working and then you have to talk to this stranger in a doctor's office about your sex life and about your ovaries and about your testicles right about your partner's ovaries or testicles or uterus right. or all of it um, and if and things don't seem to, to match what someone thinks there are like if, you, if, you, if you're presenting as a man but you're having female reproductive issues how do you get around that if if if, sure. if, if you're if you're trans and and you that's a that's a big freaking deal yeah it is a big freaking deal especially given that you know a lot of the like i don't know a lot of gyn clinics are called like the lady parts center for lady lady ladiness and you know if you are a guy who needs uh, gyn care then that's not the most awesome moment always so. no but like but people get things people get things like fibroids yeah or yeah. people get uh, have problems with other things yeah, or people they have need issues to be fixed fertility absolutely. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah and there's a lot of stuff around like who is and isn't informed about you know about fertility options and about what they what what options they have in order to have kids because there's a lot of stuff around you know who we do and don't encourage to have kids so that gets really racist and homophobic and I transphobic. Geez. I can't, I can't, I can't yeah, only that's imagine. Yeah, a, a whole can of yeah. worms. But did you encounter all of that when you were doing the fertility work? Um, were you a counselor? Were you? So I was, I was kind of a, a health educator. Um, so, you know, I, I definitely came up, up against a lot of um, people having a lot of issues around how stigmatized it is and people being really afraid of being judged mm. um, and I found that that was really that means it's really powerful when you don't judge them um, when you are actually just there to listen to people and help them get what they need that is a really powerful moment so um, and you know institutionally yeah there's a lot of stuff um, that gets tricky with homophobia and transphobia and those systems not being built uh, with certain people in mind. I mean, so. it, it, and it's all education. I, I mean, to take this to a, a relatively similar but not totally similar tactic. My family was the first Puerto Rican family to move into the building in the Northeast Bronx. Mm -hmm. We came from the South Bronx and Spanish Harlem and Washington Heights, blah, blah, blah. And I had friends because you when you're a kid you make friends because kids just make friends it's it's the grown-ups that have the bad attitudes yeah. and i had things said to me like we don't like puerto ricans but we like you Ooh. 
So I'm sure there's relatively, if like people don't know trans people, yes. then they have like a thing because like people like would think that I would have a knife. I mean, I would be like eight and people would be like, I had it, like I have a knife. <laughs> oh, people would be like, oh, and like talking to me like I don't speak English, like uh, I was born here. You know yeah. what I mean? So like I'm saying relatively similar, yeah. but totally different stereotypes and, and stigmas and it's, it's just education. Once you know one person is Puerto Rican, then it's not so scary anymore, mm -hmm. right? Once you know one person that's gay or trans and you bring them home and whatever and <laughs> people get to meet them, it's like, but, 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 but. But, but they're so nice. Yes, mom. They're very nice. Yeah, it's it's very true. It really does make a difference if people have some personal experience. Do you ever get the like people not realizing that you're Puerto Rican? So oh, that happens to me all the time. Yeah, I, I imagine it does. So, those of you who's, who's, who've seen Fish Out of Agua, who've heard Fish Out of Agua, they know. I'm not going to belabor that point, but yes. Yeah. Yes. So you get to hear all of the special bonus material that they say when they don't mm. realize that someone is there who's special affected by Special bonus it. material. I yes. am so taking that. <laughs> you absolutely should. All that stuff that people say when they don't know that you're Puerto Rican, when they don't know that you're trans, when they don't know that you're whatever thing they are saying horrible things about right now. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and if people are clumsy about what terminology to use, that's mm -hmm. fine. Yeah. Just, just ask. Yeah, Just totally. ask. You know, I like, yeah, I mean, like, don't call me spick, but, you know, like, suppose someone, someone slipped with, with, with a pronoun with you. Right, right. You know, and I'm sure it's happened. Yeah, it and, totally happened. And I'm sure, yeah. it's like, when people sometimes first meet you, they, they might be unsure how you would want to be addressed. Yeah, that happens, and, you know, a lot of the time, I mean, my name is Alana. It's not a traditional man's name. Well, it sure. ends with an A. It does. And in and most languages, A yes. is the feminine. Yes, and people get La confused chica. by that. Yes, yeah. people definitely get confused by that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those things. Um, is Alana your birth name? It is, yeah. Oh. It's yeah. a nice name. I yeah. like it. I especially I like, like the I like the pronunciation of it. I like it all right. You yeah. Know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, things like that happen, and it's kind of just a matter of, you know, I would say in general, it's nice when people don't make assumptions, but if someone does make an assumption and puts their foot in their mouth, you apologize. Like, you apologize about anything else in the world. Right. Like, I stepped on your foot. Sorry. On right. the train. Sorry. Right. 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 Exactly. My, my backpack knocked you in the head. Sorry. Exactly. As long as your earrings didn't fly out or something. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. No one died. Right. This was a non-fatal error. Right. You know, so you And, and just forget and about it. And move on. And then exactly. you get it right the next time. Exactly. Exactly. About, so. But getting back to stories. Um, so you, you first started with storytelling with the Story Collider. Mm -hmm. That was is such an amazing series. It was founded by Ben Lilly, and I think now Erin Barker and yes. Nisa Greenberg yes. are running it. Yes. What happened with to Ben? Does he still run it, oh. or is he like kind of like in absent? I don't know. I haven't, no, go, I haven't I, gone. I, I, I don't want to. I'm no. I'm sorry. I haven't this. gone. I, I know. I think he's he's definitely still around. Okay. Good. Yeah, good. He's, he's such a he's nice definitely man. Definitely still around and still involved. He's awesome. I remember when he was first starting it at this place called the Pacific Standard on Fourth mm, Avenue mm -hmm. in Brooklyn, like yeah. about seven or eight years ago. Yeah. And we would and we would go. You I know. I think they just celebrated their. I think they literally had their seventh anniversary. Oh well, show good. My memory night, is so. not that faulty. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I always remember right. him as being a very nice and kind man. Yeah. No. Ben is awesome. Aaron is amazing. Um, they were. They were and are such a pleasure to work with. So, so when you went to do the moth for the first time, mm -hmm. did you did did you do tell the fertility story? I didn't. No, I did, told an entirely different story. Did you get picked the first time you went and put your I, name in the hat? I did. Did yeah. you win? I did. Yes, me Actually, too. Oh my god! High five! Yay! 
So no, with, when Daisy came on too, we were like, yes, we 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 are first time winners. I think there's a lot of us. Yeah. Because it's like we got nothing to lose. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And You're then try, it all on the yeah, table. Trying to win again, that's hard. Trying <laughs> to win the first time, not so hard. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't done it that many times since. Oh then, my god. But, um, the Grand Slam is amazing, right? Grand Slam is a ton of fun. Yeah. So intimidating. So, so talk to me about your story at the, that won the moth. Uh, so the story that and tell me who you beat. No, <laughs> <laughs> That's so important. No, not really. It, but it's a friendly competition. Inside baseball. No. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I have no recollection who I beat, but um. Oh my I God, Daisy Rosario <laughs> did by you. That how she beat them by a tenth of a point. <laughs> she had. Oh, she had a whole. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was funny. Um. We're gonna mention her names. <laughs> so I, the story I told at the moth that won was about um, the time that I impersonated a Ukrainian drag queen in college. Wow! Um, yeah, the first the first time I did drag in college, it was uh, a formative moment involving um, a lot of really glittery clothes and uh, complete inability to dance in high heels. I so. love glitter and high heels. Uh, how 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 do people do it? Do you I have, have no idea? Do you ever watch old movies like Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers? Yes, you know, where yeah. they dance yeah, in those shoes, and she danced. Backwards. No idea. Backwards. No idea. I have no, and those. My hat and, goes off. And those no were like idea. stripper heels. <laughs> well, yeah, I, uh, yeah, totally. Well, no, maybe I, not stripper heels, but you know. Uh, actually, I think I, they had more ankle support. Hopefully, yeah. Well, actually, I, I took a pole dancing class last night. Funny, you should mention stripper heels. And uh, you know, I'm I'm a total incompetent beginner but the class before the one I was in was like intermediate and they were you know climbing up and down and spinning and like oh god just amazing with gigantic heels on it's spectacular really really it, it, it really makes you think about where your center of gravity is and your balance right or where it's not I absolutely do not have that power it's definitely it's like witchery to me and I, I admire it tremendously do you have a lot of upper body strength because you really need that right kind yeah. of yeah yeah I'm working on it I'm working on it yeah so yeah good yeah oh my god that's yeah, fun woo so maybe maybe we'll have a stripper pole story sometime <laughs> yes or maybe probably. it'll be a solo show from you in, in 2019 <laughs> <laughs> yes my, my next solo show will, will involve me with uh like Circus Atlanta, Atlanta pulls it up. And like the whole, yeah, the whole thing. Pulls, silks, oh my a unicycle. God. Oh my God. A, a unicorn. A, well, obviously, a unicorn on a unicycle. The whole nine yards. Yes, dancing on a stripper pole. So, um, what did you think about the storytelling scene per se? After, like, was the moth the second thing that you did after Story Collider, or had you gone to a couple of other shows in between? Um, I think I'd gone to some other shows, and I'd done, I think I'd done Story Collider twice at that point. Oh, wow. Um, and, uh, yeah, but then it was really, it was really just The Moth, and I was going, I'd been going to The Moth a bunch over and over and over again before I finally actually got up the courage to put my name in. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I know, it's, it's intimidating. It's super intimidating. I, it is intimidating, and I think it's more so now than it did. I mean, I started back in, like, the baby moth, the not, not larva days, but, like, <laughs> no, it was, like, it was the it was the early, early mid-aughts, yeah, you know? So yeah. I, I came up with people like Martin Dockery and James mm -hmm. Brawley and mm -hmm. Andy Christie and Adam Wade, Amazing. you know, so... Um, and back then, it, they were, Michaela Murphy, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting people, I'm sorry, but like back then, it was only once a month. It mm -hmm. was at the New Eureka Poets Cafe, mm -hmm. and sometimes Jen Hickson would tell a story. A couple of times, I remember Catherine Burns telling a story. Awesome. And like, sometimes it would be like, there's eight names in the hat, Jennifer would say. Doesn't <laughs> anybody out here want to tell a story? 
And, you know, and of course, you know, it's just evolved into this beauty. Yeah. It's blossomed into this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. But, you know, I think now uh, the maybe the back end of that, a backhand mm-hmm. thing, backlash, I don't know what the right word is for that. But um, that, like, we, Leah, you were nervous when you put your name in because, mm-hmm. like, blah, blah, blah. But, like, you know, you're just telling a story in front of, like, what, like 150 people right. tops? I mean, how many right. people do New York fits in? 200 people? Yeah. You know, at, like at, at yeah. the most, and then whatever. And it's like your friends. And, like, now you're in this, like, big hall that holds, like, 600 people, and it's right. all strangers judging you. Oh, <laughs> God. So I, I, ugh, I haven't done it in years, and I don't even know if I have the cojones to do it. I oh, probably you totally should. Do. You totally do. That's, oh my god! Yeah, no, we'll, we'll go together. It'll be fun. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Holla! Yeah. Snap! Damn. Snap! Okay. So the and but the great thing about the moth then and now and that continues to be I think so beautiful is that the camaraderie and how you just meet so many people that mm-hmm. are like minded and just have so much love for for the art form that that we're doing, and everybody is just so nice. That is ridiculously true. I tell people that, like, it's completely different than any other, you know, that you would think that because there's competition involved that people would be weird about it. But, uh, yeah, everyone's ridiculously nice and smart and funny and, you know. I mean, it makes sense. They're getting up on stage and saying hilarious and true and heartbreaking things. So, you know. Yeah. And, and now you just, there's just so much more opportunity for your story to reach more, more people yes. than it was when, when, I was, when I was doing it a lot and, start, and starting out because there's the podcast and the radio hour mm-hmm. and there's so many friendships that people make and every, everybody like books you for their shows. Like what are some of the other shows that you've been, you've been doing? Um, let's see. Well, I did my show last month. Um, I co-host a show called Take Two Storytelling. Um, and what's so, the, the premise of that? So we have people tell true stories where they do two versions of the ending, one the way that it really happened, and then the other a way that it could have happened if things had gone a little differently. So I love that. Thank you. You were awesome when you did it. Oh, yeah, full disclosure. I was on <laughs> it. Ah. The show was awesome. Um, yeah, it, it's fun because people get to do, you know, either a what they wish had happened or a what they're really, really glad didn't happen or even, ju- you know, just a completely different fork in the road if things had, had gone a little differently. So. And it's so great because, like, you know, I always maintain that a great story is 95% truth, mm-hmm. 3% embellishment, and 2% other. Yes. And your series that you do with Harvey, Harvey Katz? Yes. Yes, Harvey I Katz remember. Is my co-host. Yes. Um, your series gives you the opportunity to do a story that's like maybe 30% embellishment. Yes, 30% <laughs> complete flight of fancy embellishment, and people go all out with it, and it's amazing. Um, so we do that every month. Um, and other shows that I've done, I'm trying to think. Um, I'm completely blanking. I've done Queer Memoir, which is hosted by Kelly Dunham. Kelly Dunham. Kelly um, Dunham on episode 26, the season finale of season one. She's amazing. She is spectacular, um, completely so busy. She makes me look like the laziest person in the world. Um, let's see. I'm doing a show called Funny, Sexy, Sad in July. Um, Funny, Sexy, Sad. Yeah, Mm. um, hosted by Nate Wagner. um, And that one, I I think all I really know about the premise is that the story is supposed to be funny or sexy or sad, which I think is most things in life. So that'll be fun. Most things in life are kind of all three, or at least two out of three. Yeah, I feel like the most interesting moments are all three combined. So, Alana, are you a writer also? 
Uh, not a very prolific one, no. So when you do your stories, the reason why I'm asking you is because everybody has a different process with stories. Yeah. Some people have their stories completely in their head. Mm -hmm. Some people write them out and try to memorize them word for word. Mm -hmm. Other people do, um, like outlines. Like yeah. they'll do the points they want to hit. They'll have their beginning and ending set in stone, mm -hmm. but they'll just have points that they want to hit to drive the story forward. And how they get to from A to B to C to D to E is whatever. Yeah. So what what what's what's your um your take on it and what's your process? So usually what I'll do is um, first I'll go for a really long walk um, because I can't think unless I'm moving sometimes. Um, I hear and, that. Right. ADD. Um, and artist <laughs> deficit disorder. Yes. Um, so sometimes I'll record myself telling a story first. That's smart. Um, and then I'll listen to it. And then from there, I, I kind of do what you said, where I'll have a, a beginning and an ending that are set, and then the rest is kind of bullet points, outline, that I'll, you see what happens when you get up in front of people. Because it always, it always changes a little bit once you're actually in front of an audience. Yeah. It's kind of my favorite thing. And you so. can tell the same story like five or six, seven, eight hundred times, and like it'll be a little bit different every time. Yes, which is yeah. really what I yeah. love about it, yeah. that you have that back and forth with the audience, and you have that, that way that stories shift over time as they become different for you, as your life changes. So um, that's definitely something I really love about storytelling. And the other thing is that you can get a perspective over something that happened like a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And then in the telling of it, you can get like some new insight. Yeah. And then you can that, that could just like crystallize and like maybe change its the story's trajectory a little bit. Absolutely. It definitely that's happened to me with a lot of stories that I've worked on that, yeah. you know, thinking thinking about things that happened way back when changes your perspective on them and kind of coming up, you know, looking at them with a narrative perspective always changes it. Um, and then hearing how the audience reacts to it can sometimes even change your perspective on it, which is really That's interesting. That's true, because sometimes you get laughs where you didn't expect to get laughs, and oh, you're like, yeah. what? And then sometimes there's things that you think people are going to be rolling on the floor laughing, and it's like, <laughs> and it takes a while yeah. for you to get to the point where you could see these reactions and not have them affect you mm -hmm. and not have them affect you outwardly and you just continuing to do your, your performance and meanwhile and suddenly you're like oh fuck man i <laughs> fucked this up again yeah the unexpected laugh is a big one there's there's a line in a, a story that i i had that i never expected to get a laugh on and the first time i told it it just like bam people erupted and i was it was a really dark line that i guess i kind of I don't know. I wasn't expecting it to hit that way. It was awesome. They were, you know, I'm like, I'm not going to argue with them that it's funny. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's totally fine. But, um, but yeah. And sometimes, sometimes I've, I've had lines where I felt like I had to actively give the audience permission to laugh. Mm. Um, and that's also really interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. Because people like they, it's almost like they were afraid right. to like do the wrong thing. Right, right, right. Exactly. So that's that's always interesting, but yeah, the right laughter is the clearest sign. The rest of it, it's like you can you can feel the difference between people who are disconnected and people who are just listening very quietly. But but then sometimes afterwards, you wonder if you fooled yourself. Uh, <laughs> that's this is true. <laughs> so I I kind of like lost the point here, which was: Do you mainly write your stories, or do you mainly compose them in your head, or do you? Do a combination. I do a mix of both, depending on the story and depending on. But um, usually, I don't actually. Usually, I don't write out what I'm. My final version, word for word. I'm okay. not one of those people who can have something memorized and make it sound not memorized. 
Um, so I really, I, I will sometimes write it out as I'm working on it, but that almost never actually ends up being the final version. Mm. What if you're working on a longer piece? So that's something I'm doing right now. Yes, haha. Uh, see, leading, look, look leading the witness. Look at you bringing that, bringing that leading in. Leading the witness. Um, so yeah, so I'm working on my first solo show right now, and I have been writing Yay! more of it. Oh, um, I'm so excited for you. Thank you. I'm excited too. But you have to write it. Yeah, you do have to write it. You can't really wing it for an hour. No, um, no. you just cannot. E- even so. though, even though it's your life, and mm-hmm. you can't go off on your story. It's not like you're memorizing like a Shakespeare monologue. Right. Still, if you're doing it, no, you have to write it. You have to write it. <laughs> well, it, right. Maybe George Carlin could do that, but like. <laughs> well, I feel like the problem. Well, like, is, well, like Whoopi Goldberg could do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm right. I, I'm sure there are people. And who they've been are, doing it for years. And they're, sp- I'm sure they're amazing. Yeah. And I'm not. Mike Daisy people. does it all yeah, the time. I yeah, think. Yeah. But absolutely. he must write something. Yeah. He must. <laughs> We I don't know we can, no, sure don't we know can find out from someone yeah but, um, yeah. yeah I definitely feel like with a longer piece yeah. I have to write it out more if only so that you know because usually I just tell myself like it happened to me I can't forget it the worst thing that happens is I go on a tangent but if I go on a tangent and I have an hour that could go really fascinatingly off the rails yeah so. right That's because especially if if you want to end in a certain place yeah and then you start talking about like. I don't know. Yeah. Some other, yeah. So like some other unrelated like trip or something you took, and it's yeah. like you know, that we're like a few years away, and it's like in another state and mm-hmm. of altered perception, and <laughs> like yeah, it could really go bad. <laughs> you just go on a whole adventure that you weren't yeah. expect, right? Yeah. It's uh, live the miracle of live theater. Stream of consciousness. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Worked for James Joyce and and Faulkner. <laughs> but they were writing it down. I'm, yeah, right. I'm neither of those people. Yeah, I feel like you can hold a pretty tight structure in your head with a short piece without mm. writing it down. But when you have an, a longer piece, yeah. keeping that structure, huh. keeping that structure in mind, and keeping it kind of in the arc that you're aiming for, I think gets harder. So I think that's where writing it down gets and more useful. Yes, and and that just made me think. I my mind just went off on a freaking tangent. If if like, <laughs> I could see a lot of looking at me, it's like, what are you thinking about, woman? Because like my eyes are going. Because I was thinking when I was saying that James Joyce and William Faulkner were writing Stream of Consciousness, but they were writing. I'm like, wait a second. They're both like dudes. Like, is there a female writer who's known for writing Stream of Consciousness in literature? I Would that be Dejuna Barnes or something? I don't even know. I've only read Anthropon. I only read one book. And I had and I read it on the duress in school. <laughs> I didn't think it was that good. Sorry. Yeah, I don't know. I I'm sure. I'm Sorry. Sure, I'm sure someone's out there. I'm sure lots of people are out there. But uh, but we don't know about them. I don't. I because don't why? Because our stories are not being heard. But this story is being heard here on Fish Out of Bag right now. As I pound the table and <laughs> threaten to knock my brand new technology off the table. Yes. But That's Alana, nice to it. but Alana, um, so you've prepared something for us. Is this gonna? Is this an upcoming excerpt from your new solo show, or is this something else? This is something else, actually. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, let's. Uh, without further ado, Ilana Lancaster. So I'm standing in the elevator on my way up to my grandparents' apartment for dinner, and all I want to do is turn around and run. Um, I'm here on a mission. Um, I'm not really here to see people. I'm kind of here to cross something off from my to-do list. Um, I'm about to see my little brother for the first time in two years since he went to LA to try rehab again. Um, And so the thing that I'm trying to cross off from my list that everyone else in the family knows and he doesn't is that I'm finally coming out to him. Um, And what that means in this context uh, is that I'm gonna tell him that I'm a transgender guy, that I am his older brother, not his older sister. 
So I get to the apartment and I open the door and there he is um, for the first time in two years. And we kind of edge up to one another and we try to hug and we kind of fail. We like really awkwardly pat one another on the back instead in this kind of like poorly choreographed like side pat way. Um, and then we're going to sit down and we squabble over this chair that we both really liked when we were kids. So we, we used to call it the rolly chair. It's black leather and it's got wheels on it so you can spin in it. And as the older brother, obviously I am above competition, but if we're going to compete, I'm going to win. Uh, so I get the rolly chair, um, which turns out to be a terrible decision because the rolly chair is really short and I am almost a foot shorter than my little baby brother. Um, so we're sitting down, um, I'm hunched down, um, and the whole family is talking and everyone else is really fascinated to hear about how well his life is going and everything that he's been up to in LA and just how good things are for him. But all I can think about is what he was like two years ago. All I can think about is what it's like to trust someone and have them lie to you. And all I can think about is what it's like and how much it hurts to watch someone you care about destroy themselves. So the night keeps going and I realize that there is a gigantic flaw in this carefully crafted plan of mine, which is that I actually have no plan at all. I have not concocted any way that I'm going to wedge this information into conversation. Um, it's not just coming up on its own, um, which some people might find shocking, um, but no, it's not just cropping up in the middle of conversation. And I have these visions that I'm going to turn to him and just say, hey, by the way, I'm a dude, like I've imagined doing so many times, um, but I think that that might actually make everyone in my family choke on their food, so I'm gonna spare people that. Um, some people actually have told me that they expect that this is something that people could guess on their own, and that in my experience is also not the case. People are much more likely to think that for example, you've had a cold that's lasted for two years, or the only side effect is that your voice is suddenly a baritone instead of an alto, um, instead of guessing that their only sibling is a transsexual. So I have not managed to work it into conversation. It has not come up on its own, and I am just about to give up. Um, this isn't going the way that I hoped it would, but at the end of the night, I think I'm actually really ready to put a continent between me and my brother again. I don't actually think I'm ready to do this. Um, I don't think he's ready for it. I don't think I'm ready for it. Um, and so I'm relieved when at the end of the night, we're all going home and I can't find him. So I go downstairs to, I say goodbye to the rest of my family and I go downstairs to get the train home and there he is. He is standing outside of the subway stop. Um, he is smoking a cigarette, um, and I can see the, the end of the cigarette lit in the dark, and he's waiting for me. And I walk up to him, and I extend the one conversational olive branch that I have in this situation. Um, it's the ultimate low-hanging fruit of sibling relationships. We're gonna make fun of our parents. Um, so once though I have covered the ground of my father's obsession with progressive rock and my mother's obsession with what, uh, what Jewish day school her imaginary hypothetical future grandchildren would go to uh, were they to exist, 
I am completely out of ideas and there's silence. And that's when something really, really shocking happens and my brother actually is the first one to bring his walls down. Um, and so he's talking to me about how when we're older and when our parents are older, it's just gonna be us having to figure out how to take care of them. And he's talking to me about how lousy the long-term sobriety statistics are for young addicts like him and how that worries him. And for the first time, I start to think that maybe he knows how precious what he has is and maybe he's not gonna throw it away this time. And I still don't know how or if I'm gonna come out to him. I can feel the words in the back of my throat forming and unforming, but the stakes are so much higher than they were at the beginning of the night. It's not easy to come out to someone who you've already written off, um, but it is easier because now if I tell him, I'm giving him the power to reject me. And now mm. I remember again how much that means. And that is when he says, Obviously, I've always been the black sheep in the family, which is too good of an opening to possibly resist. And, you know, I'm above competition, but if we're going to compete, I'm going to win. Um, so, and he starts talking about these porcelain figurines that my mom got when each of us was born. Um, his was of a young scholar studying the Bible, um, and mine was of a little girl wearing a pink dress with pigtails playing with a doll. And he makes a joke about how he had more to live up to in that context than I did. Um, and I can't resist this opening, so I tell him, and I wait. And he looks at me, and he thanks me for telling him. And he says he thought something was going on, but he thought maybe I just had a cold. <laughs> and we continue the conversation just like I hoped we would. And we talk about what it's like to have something about who you were in the past, make it hard for people to see you the way you are now. And we talk and we talk and we talk and finally it's time for me to go home and we hug. And I get on the train and I go back to my apartment and I'm not ready to start trusting him again, but I start to think that maybe someday I could. Oh my God! Did you like see me like trying not to laugh? I did. Times? Yes, yes, that's which just, I appreciated. That's <laughs> such a beautiful, sensitive, and amazing story, Alana. Oh my God! Thank my you. heart just like I feel like like okay. I think I, I I'm not a Grinch, but I feel like you know, <laughs> your you, heart grew you know three the Grinch. Sizes. My heart grew three sizes. And the other thing <laughs> that, that made me crazy was like your dad listened to prog rock. Yes. Oh yes. Oh my God! Oh, Don't yes. tell me how old he is, because if we're the same age, I'm gonna like die. <laughs> but when I was a teenager, I listened to Yes. <laughs> I, I and was, King Crimson and stuff. I was raised on King Crimson. Oh a my lot. God! I saw that. A okay, lot. we're gonna we're gonna stop this right yes, now. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, um, Ilana, like, let us know real quick about what the, the fantastic show you're gonna be doing on July 9th is. Yes. The day before so, my birthday. Yes. Well, I'm gonna be 30. <clears throat> yeah. Right. <laughs> Happy almost birthday. Yeah. yeah. So the show is called This Sparkling World. Um, it's at, yeah. It's gonna have glitter in it. Um, well, there will be, I'm con contractually obligated to not throw any glitter, but it will be a very glittery show, um, in, in terms of its content. Uh, okay. so it's about, um, kind of the evolution of my personal obsession with, um, glitter and shiny things and drag and all of that, um, and 
how it has made it possible for me to survive in this world. Um, and where's it going to be in what time? So yeah, so July 9th at 3 p.m. at the Tank. Okay, is uh, it part of a festival? It is. It is part of the. Um, it's part of their Pride Fest. Okay. I want to say the festival is called Proud as Fuck, something like that. I'm terrible. I should remember this, but um, yeah. But oh. the the other there are three other solo shows in the festival that are going to be fantastic that I'm really excited about. So. Everyone should go to all of them. So, what, where, where can people go for more information? Do you have a personal website, or should we go to the tank? What, what can we, where can we find more fabulous Alana stuff? Well, my website is alanalancaster.com. E L A N A L A N C A S T E R dot com. Thank you, Michelle. It was that I, I should just like carry around a recording of you saying that all the time. <laughs> um, whenever I have to spell my name, I like it, especially with the dot com. And yeah, and I um, and you can check out the tank's website. Um, as well, which I cannot remember the URL off the top of my head, but if you Google the tank NYC, it will definitely come up. Just Google. Yeah. Like they used to say back <laughs> in the day, take your f use, take your fingers to the yellow pages. <laughs> take your fingers to Google. Take your fingers and, to and, Google. And, and, and the, listen to Titi Shell. You, you will find everything. <laughs> All right, Alana, it's been a pleasure. Thank Such you. Such a pleasure. Thanks, Michelle. Ilana Lancaster is busy. This sparkling world which will be presented at 3 p.m. on Sunday, July 9th, as part as the Tank Annual Pride Fest 2017, the otherwise known as the <clears throat> Proud as Fuck Storytelling Festival. It's a show about learning glitter as a second language, living in a trans body, and figuring out how to make room for the unexpected, like maybe glitter and impersonating a Ukrainian drag queen, like that song from... Uh, Verka Seduchka that almost won, came in second place of the 20, uh, 2007 Eurovision competition. Anyway, next is a song that Alana picked, and I'm not going to say anything, but let yous listen to it. to 
We're back with Fish Out of Agua and Radio Free Brooklyn. And that song was always from Erasure's I Say, I Say, I Say album in 1994. And that's our show. If you like what you've been hearing, consider sponsoring us or any one of the fine shows on Radio Free Brooklyn. And just how can one support us, you may ask? It's easy. Just go to Radio Free Brooklyn forward slash donate dot com or Radio Free Brooklyn para oblicula donate punto com and click on the donate tab. You can sponsor any show, <clears throat> including Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo for as little as a dollar per episode. That's so you eat one less small bag of Lay's potato chips, just about the only brands that cost less than three dollars a bag now. And I'm going to kick off my birthday week. Yes, my birthday week. And going to prog on out of here with this song. Oh, yeah, that was the theme, prog stuff. <laughs> also chosen by Alana as one of his faves. And when two prog nerds unite on the theme, you know what happens next. This is Three of a Perfect Pair from King Crimson's album of the same name, released in 1974. Stay tuned for Brooklyn Bandstand next. And see you next week. Mm-hmm. 